The winemakers are up next, but first, check out this other great show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Destination Eat Drink. I'm Brent Peterson of Destination Eat Drink, the travel podcast for foodies. This week, we're in Egypt for fava bean falafel, Turkish coffee, pyramids, and cheap plastic souvenirs. Really fun statues of like pyramids, that which I know are a little bit cheesy souvenirs, but we totally have those at my house as well. <laughs> I've written about this before. I'm totally in favor of cheap plastic tchotchkes. <laughs> Download Destination Eat Drink today on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. From the birthplace of modern winemaking, Sonoma, California, welcome to the winemakers. Local experts Sam Katuri, Bart Hansen, and Brian Casey, along with host John Myers, invite you to listen in as they discuss all facets of winemaking. So sit back, pour yourself a glass, and let's hear what the guys have to say this week. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the winemakers. We are here today. On gathered here together today. Yeah, gathered here together. <laughs> here today on uh, Wednesday before Thanksgiving. Um, uh, someone, someone asked if we could have a, uh, some questions answered. And since we didn't have anything really to talk about this week, we figured we'd go through your questions that came through on Instagram um, through Sam's uh, question uh, uh, post and through uh, the podcast. So here we are. Um, we've passed them all around. I think we're just going to kind of divide it up as appropriate or as passionate as anybody is. And Sam, why don't you get us started? Uh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> Which one I want to... <laughs> uh, See, this is why I asked uh, if you have a favorite question, Sam. I mean, there were really a lot of good questions. I mean, so I'm going through them. We got a, a great response. I think we had over for 20 some 25 questions between the two and and some of them you know we've probably answered in in previous shows um but i think it's okay if we kind of go back and um you know visit some of those what is right with brian's roussant and what's going okay on i like that right all right what's going on with brian's roussant great question you, casey brian uh you want me to handle this one yeah it's your one <laughs> Uh, so the Rossi Ranch 2019 Roussan was in neutral oak for 10 months, going through a nice long, slow fermentation, slowed down a little bit in the wintertime, came, woke back up in the spring. Uh, two barrels, one of them is completely dry. The other one, maybe just a tiny bit of uh, residual, but probably not even at this point. It's It just tastes different. Um, was the barrels taste different from each other is what you're saying yeah which i guess bart and sam could attest to i mean well i mean they should taste different because we we pressed straight to barrel right Um, right. and and, you know so you know one barrel is a lot more free run or probably almost all free run and the second barrel had some press in it and you know we have is that the one that's not dry and, and and it's the one that's not dry is the second one yeah I'm sure. And um, quite frankly, the, um, well, although the sugar was the same on both of them. So, you know, I don't know that that's relevant, but the point is, is the chemistry is probably slightly different on the second barrel than the first barrel. And one tastes, one tastes a little bit more dry than the other one, I think is what it is. But I think run analysis on it or is that just 
to taste. Well, we've, 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 yeah, we've run analysis and I think one was a little bit behind the other one, but I think it's caught up at this point. And so we were just sort of waiting um, to send in more analysis because, um, you know, you can send it in the test for all kinds of different stuff. But at this point, I think we, um, we're, we're pretty sure that both of them are dry. And so at this point, it's just a matter of, both, I mean, I'll both, let Bart speak to it. Yeah, yeah both, yeah. Wines, both wines are dry and stable. Um, yeah. One of them has um, a small amount of SO2 in it um, to keep it stable. Um, the other one has a little less because um, it was still ticking away. Our plan was to next week after Thanksgiving to send it in again to double check it. And we're checking the SO2s on all the empty or all the barrels. I'm checking MLs on the 2020s. Um, and so we'll see where it's at. So, but I think the thing that's more important than that is that the other thing Brian did is he transferred it to a couple of once used French oak barrels. Right. So I got, I just, you know, part of it was probably the fermentation, but in my mouth, the wine just tasted a little bit. The, the only description I come up with is scattered. So in my palate was a little bit scattered and whatever you want to take that as it, it was that it wasn't round. And it, so it was, it was kind of muddled. How about that? Okay. So my idea was let's get some, not new oak, but some once used oak. And we got the barrels from Sojourn. They had used uh, these barrels last year for their Chardonnay. So they were used for eight months for Chardonnay. So we got those and then we just racked out of the neutral oak into the once used um, oak and, and nice barrels too. So, and just over the last six weeks or two months, I mean, the wine tastes completely different. And, and I mean, to me, every time I taste it, it tastes better and better. And it's just sort of rounding out those edges is what, and that's, that's exactly what we were looking for. So um, I think bottling is scheduled for February March. at this point, um, the label March. So, and the label um, still got a, you know, the label is being worked on by someone who does wine labels. So I, Bart, I think is the only one that has seen, several different iterations of the label, but I think I've got it down to um, a style that I want on the label. And so at this point, it's just about getting glass and corks and um, and then getting it bottled in March and it'll be ready to go. Brian, what did you want your label to communicate? You know, John, honestly, I wasn't even really sure. I knew that it was going to be, you know, I don't have a huge portfolio of wines and so I didn't need it to stick out among my other wines. It was going to be, this is my one wine. And I knew that most of the people that I was going to sell it to were actually going to be people that have either heard me talk about it or I would have conversations with. So the label to me, I guess I was going to have, you know, something fun. It was maybe going to be my daughter, one of her friends doing a label. But what was interesting is when we went to the person who actually does labels for a living, her first question to me is, how much are you going to sell the wine for? And I said, well, I'm not sure. I haven't added up all the, the numbers to see exactly where I need to be, you know, to not lose money. We're not looking to make a ton of money. We're looking to not lose money in this venture. <laughs> which is, um, so, but her, her thing was. School 101. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Trying to not lose um, money here. <laughs> so my original idea, she actually shot down and said, I think it's a little bit cheesy. I think if you're planning on selling it in this specific price point, then you should communicate that in some way through the, and basically what she was saying is make it 
more of a professional label that communicates that, hey, this is a, this is a good wine. This is a professional wine that, that commands that sort of price point as opposed to, you know, those really fun natural wines that you see for 15 to 20 bucks. They have a, you know, a rocket ship on them or something that says rocket juice. You know, it was something that was, and part of that was also paying homage to the fruit that was like, you know, not everyone gets an opportunity to work with fruit from number one, from Rossi, number two, that was farmed by Phil's dad. I mean, you sort of don't want to just put that in a can and put it out, there, right? And and say- Not hey, top on. Right. So, so I think a combination of all those different factors, it's, um, you know, the label is Sonoma Som, Sonoma S-O-M-M. -M. Oh, cool. Um, it's just going to pay homage to Roussan from Rossi Ranch and it's, you know, minimal intervention winemaking. And I like the wine more and more every day, every time that I try it, it gets more and more towards a wine that I would personally drink every day. So Are you feeling fulfilled these days because of that. Yeah, but um, totally. I, you know, I didn't want to make a wine that I had to drink all myself because I just had this juice <laughs> laying around that I couldn't sell. Two I barrels. wanted to be able to sell it. <laughs> right. I actually did the math one day. No, I did the math one day to see how much I would have to drink and how long it would take me if I drank it all myself. And it, um, it's not that long. It would, but, it, but, you got a bottle a day for a year, I think, right? You have 50 yeah, I mean, cases, it was 50 it, cases. That's. That's, no, that's uh, two years. Two years. Two years. Six, it's 600 bottles. Yeah, which, you know, that's not bad. But right. I, I would love to, I want to pour some at the Fairmont. I want to pour some at the Girl in the Fig. And I want to, I want to be able to offer some to our podcast listeners. We should talk to Tom Wark about Tidehouse Laws. Can Brian buy his own wine at the Fairmont and then sell it to customers? Sam. Why not? <laughs> Sam. I just did a virtual Zoom the other day with... Um, uh, with a bunch of media people and, and was featuring three wines. And one of them was Sam's uh, 20, 2016 um, uh, Rossi Homage, the, the red blend. Um, we did uh, Sonoma Couture, Le Pierre Chardonnay, and then we also did the uh, um, Three Sticks um, Gaps Crown Pinot. But after the, we went through and did the whole tasting with the media. And what was weird is that our general manager of the hotel, Edward Rowe, was sitting next to me six feet away, properly distance, of course, on the Zoom, because we had our masks off. And he said to the media, hey, there's a, um, something you guys probably don't know. When Brian's talking about young winemakers and A3Ds and all these um, um, crush pads, that Brian actually made his own wine. And I had no idea that he even knew that. I hadn't said anything to him about it. Um, Is he so a listener? Um, he listens to The Bike Goes On. But I, I have no idea if he listens to the winemakers podcast. God, I hope not. Um, for sometimes this is like my, this is my un, this is my unshow. So it's the show where I don't have to worry about what I say because I don't think that anyone in the corporate world actually listens to me. As you know. guaranteed, that's a great way to make sure that they're going to start listening. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, he, I said to him, well, that's Edward. I'm really glad that you know that I make wine because I'm planning on selling some to the hotel. <laughs> That's perfect. So, That's awesome. Yeah. And, and, no, and no pushback. He was stoked. No, no pushback. And, and actually, um, Susie Goodacre, who is currently my boss, who used to run banquets and catering at the Fairmont, you know, I'm the only person that came back from Sante. So the, the manager from Sante 
didn't return back when we reopened the hotel. Um, so she is, her brother also is a winemaker and she has a Sauvignon Blanc from Dry Creek that is amazing that she gave me a shiner of. Anyone that follows me on Instagram, you could have seen the, the shiner from Good Acre Farms. So we're, and we're planning on purchasing some of that Sauvignon Blanc too. So, I mean, isn't that a part of like being in wine country and being in the wine business and being in the hospitality industry is that there's got to be some crossover where, you know, people happen to have brothers, sisters, cousins, um, friends that, that make wine. It's a nepotistic industry is what you're saying. Totally. Yeah. And, and, and what better than selling that to the, to the hotel. It's just not a problem. No, they, and want, they want that local connection, I'm sure. Totally. Part of, you know, a, a huge part of selling wine is selling the story of the wine. And so this wine has been all about the journey of working for the wine and, and getting, uh, getting an opportunity to do that. Where, you know, normally most people don't have that opportunity. And I was given that opportunity and I'm totally grateful for it. And so, yeah, I want to share that story with other people. Well, and if I can do that at the table then even better. And if people like it, then even better. Oh, yeah. And then if they well, buy it's gonna be awesome. and pay you yeah. cash in your pocket, <laughs> they put I'm, it in the car before they leave the hotel. Check yeah, out. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not bringing any order forms um, <laughs> to work. Now, Venmo, man. Venmo, baby. It's like the most beautiful thing. You don't you have to bring, you're going to have three cases in your locker at all times. Right. You don't have to bring your knuckle buster credit card processing uh, card to the table. Right. Hey, let's, um, yeah. let's, should we answer some questions? Yeah. So here's yeah. one. Let's, let's kind of roll through the list so we can go oldest to newest. And, um, I think we've talked right. about this, but how about from Travis Barkley? Uh, do we think field blends will make a comeback meaning new plantings? Um, and I think what he means is true field blends, not, not field blends where you buy three different blocks from the same vineyard and then blend them together. Right. Um, no, no, not in that way. I mean, <laughs> I'm gonna say I think no. that, yeah, the, the interesting thing, like on the sort of larger scale, I mean, you know, M Morgan does it, um, we'll do it. And Miguel's never not like thrown in some random budwood into any planting that he's, you know, ever done. Um, but will the next generation of Napa vineyards, where they start working in some of these experimental varietals to keep something stylistically Napa, but deal with climate change and, and where, you know, Cabernet isn't going to perform like Cabernet has performed for the last 30 years. And it's probably not a one variety solution, right? It's probably a multi-variety solution. Will those plantings be a, a true field blend? Probably not. Um, you might be, you know, have rows that abut each other that are, are different varieties, but uh, I think with modern farming, um, you know, you're going to want to be able to segregate exactly those varieties. You might pick them all at the same time, maybe, but you're going to want to segregate the varieties and be able to prune them differently and water them differently, um, you know, fertilize whatever you're going to do. You want to be able to zero in variety. Yeah, you guys, you guys should really, you, I think you should have a definition for people that maybe wouldn't understand the definition of field blend. You're not talking about a vineyard over in Napa that has Cab Cab Franc Merlot, Petit Verdot, and Malbec all on property that then makes a Bordeaux blend that they put out as Opus One. You're right. talking about maybe a hundred years ago, an Italian family that had planted grapes um, 
and had Alicante, Bouchette, Seurat, Grenache, Zinfandel, and Carignan interdispersed in the vineyard, right? Is that kind of what we're talking I mean, I, about? I think, you know, yeah. Well, I was just going to say, so here, here's an example of where someone did do this in the past 10 years is the go for run vineyard that, you know, I just released my Zin. Um, that is a field blend. It's 95% Zin, two and a half percent and two and a half percent petite. And, and Morgan was the one who called that um, planting because his viticulturalist is who planted it and farmed it. Um, and it is a true field blend. Um, but but it's all picked at the same time because it would be nice to pick some of it just the zin, but you just don't do that to to a crew um, unless you're Will Buckley. Um, so so there's an example of something planted recently of it. Um, but I, I think Sam, you're right. I think I don't I don't see large I don't see 20 acre blocks going in that are field blends. Um, I mean maybe that would if the Morgans and the Tegans and I guess the Phils and Sams of the world. Um, the, the Randy Feldmans of the world have their way, maybe. But, um, you know, I think that on a scale that you would see in a shelf in North Carolina, even in a fine wine shop, um, probably the, the, the quote-unquote field blends of the future will still be segregated blocks. So, you know, and you can put, if you pick it all on the same day and crush it all together and ferment it together, you could probably call it a field blend. So I think that, you know, the definition of a field blend is definitely, um, and, and frankly, you put field blend on your label, it doesn't actually mean anything. It's just a fictitious name according to the TTB. So, but it carries a hell of a lot of weight, Sam. It really does. It helps tell us. Yeah, you know, I, it's interesting. It, it, does, it, it, sparks a story i mean i think people uh, and brian you probably see this pretty often people don't necessarily know what you mean when you say field blend when they're sitting down at a tasting room or a dining room table no i think people know what gsm means right but they don't really understand yeah field blend i usually end up explaining to people what that means yeah all right okay. generally generally it's when you're talking about a historic vineyard yeah, exactly yeah Bart, did you know, did you know that bart makes Shannon blanc and I like that. Yeah, we just, we have to just, you know, it's even, here's the funny thing, and God bless all you people out there in Instagram and podcast world. I posted that picture when I was up at Bottle Barn because they haven't sold, they haven't sold a couple bottle, any bottles in the past, you know, month or so, at least that it looks like. And I'm trying to give them some love, trying to help them get through some inventory, got to make room for the 18 um, coming in. And so I just took a picture of the shelf talker that's been sitting up there for over a year now <laughs> and I get all this new love. Um, so, you know, God bless all you guys, but it's the same wine when the same Oprah. <laughs> yeah, same well, Oprah. What's that tell you though, Bart? <laughs> How uh, many copies of that Oprah magazine do you have at your house? It's, it's a digital, it was a digital. It was mag. never published, right? Well, it was and only you know good. what? I tried to find it the other day and I think it's gone. So um, the only okay. proof is, uh, is 700 mentions on the last four podcast episodes okay all right uh, well, let's move on wait, okay well, wait 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 for for Bart. next time you do a gopher runs infidel will you release it with a picture of bill murray from caddyshack on the on the front of it um <laughs> Cinder, cinderella story i think bill might have a problem with that 
I don't think so. Or the gopher would at least. You just put it you just put a digitized version. Like did you see that on going on on, on Twitter with uh, Tim I think Tim Gatto posted it. Uh, it was a, a beer coming out of somewhere in Detroit that used like a old Tecmo football, like, you know, pixelated image of Barry Sanders right. on the label. And Barry Sanders had to put it out and be like, This ain't me, this is fucked up. And uh, and then, you know, so I, I don't know if I got pulled though. So, yeah, so I, I, digital I, I, Bill Murray. Yeah, I, I I'll stick I'll stick to being a little more traditional. Fence post lizards. All right. <laughs> um, more questions. Um, more questions. More questions. Uh, Danny Fay, why do people who don't make wine call themselves winemakers? Because vintners is a stupid term. All right. Uh, Max Katuri, my brother. Uh, where do they put the moguls in the summer? <laughs> and, uh, in a warehouse in Reno. Um, uh, and Bixby. Uh, Bixby yeah, I have questions. questions. I was just going to say. Without actually Bixby. asking any questions. Yeah, right. Bixby, we have questions for you. Yeah, hey, what, the, is, what, is, of us, what is Danny four, talking about? He's. Uh, well, Dan, Danny's uh, he, having a good time, man. Yeah, he, I think he's talking shit. But there is people yes. who don't make wine who call themselves winemakers because they own the winery or, or whatever. Um, you know, it's it's or or doctors who have invested in the vineyard or something like that. Yeah, exactly. And I, I mean, the original premise to this show, right? Why did we call this show the winemakers? Uh, because every one of us, the four of us, and all of our guests, and most of our readers all have a or listeners have a have a role in the making of wine whether it's the making of a brand or the making of a brand's success or actually physically making the liquid in a bottle um you know we all we all play a role how about that how's that for an answer danny it's because you, you make a couple hundred cases of cabernet you're an you're a pencil pusher like the rest of us all right <laughs> um how about this one Will we see non-vintage wines becoming a reality for North and West Coast wine releases? What does from, that mean? Yeah, North and West ask. Coast wine releases. Sorry, I mean, I think North Coast, you know, California, or does she mean Oregon, Washington, California? Does does the fact that nobody has any 2020s play a role in like doing some back blends? And everybody has too much 18s and 19s. People are going to do some some back blending and make wines that. Have okay, so start, let's let's start with parameters. Okay, just in case right. people don't know, are you allowed to mix vintages? If you do, what is the percentage if you want to label a, a specific vintage? You are allowed to mix vintages, is it 5%? Basically, there's a 5% number on your ability to do any blending that uh, allows for topping plus, right? So if you're making wine, and you have a one barrel of Zinfandel that came from a vineyard and you want to put out a, a vineyard designate for that vineyard, but you don't have enough of that wine to top it with, you're allowed to basically put in up to 5% of whatever you want and still call it that vineyard because it's a, a sort of a reality of, of the winemaking process. And if that wine is from a different vintage, it's still okay. Let's say it's 2018 fruit that you're topping 2019 barrels with, you can still label it 2019. 5%. As long as it's under 5%. And, and that okay. goes for Appalachian, it goes, you know, varieties even more, but it goes for Appalachian, it goes for vineyard designate, county, uh, anything else? 
Well, well then varietal, varietal is what, 80%? Well, see, but that also depends on what the appellation is. If it's Sonoma County, it can be 75% appellation. If it's Sonoma Valley, and I'm probably off here a little bit, but just to give the example, um, if it's Sonoma Valley, it has to be 90% uh, or 85%, and, and to be Sonoma Mountain, it can only be 10%, and then uh, Vineyard Designate, it has to be 100%, and it, no, Vineyard Designate, it's 5%. Oh, we should have looked this up first. And I know. <laughs> Let's just put it this way. Listen to the next episode because wine laws and wine rules are stupid and don't make any sense. And it goes from the production all the way up to how you buy it at your local retailer. So, But another reason why... we just chalk it up to that instead of our inability to remember the rules because nobody pays attention to them? <laughs> but another reason why somebody might want to designate or get 5% in is... Um, Sometimes you might want 5% of the new vintage to freshen a wine yeah. and or, or less, you know, you, you, you don't go over because over it always becomes very apparent, usually in tasting, but it truly is like, um, it can give wine a, a freshness and brighten it up. And, and then right. there's yeah. also a, there's a winery over in Napa and maybe a lot of people don't know this. I don't think I knew it until, you know, the last five years that actually puts out a wine every year that is a combination of vintages. Opus. Opus does their overture, which is a blend of two different vintages and could be more sometimes. Right. You know, uh, um, most champagne, right? Right, right. I mean, even, even fancy, you know, three figure bottles of champagne are, unless they have a vintage on them, they're most likely a combination of, of vintages, a blend of vintages. Well, and, and like our friends, uh, 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 Texacali Alley at Smith Story, they have their wine, Lord Sandwich, and it's a, a white blend and a red blend, and it's always non-vintage, I believe. Um, Morgan has, what's Morgan's um, uh, non-vintage? Is, is Chabin non-vintage? There have been years where it's yeah. been non-vintage. I mean, maybe some years are. I think it really, you know, I think it just depends on what supply is like. And right. so to answer the question, I think it goes back to Sam's original comment. It's very, it, it, you know, because of what happened in not only 2020, but with, with 18 and 19 being giant vintages, I would not be surprised if you see more non-vintage wines in the marketplace in the next six, eight months. Um, but, I, you know, and, and kind of like Morgan does with those wines and frankly, like they do with fancy champagne and, and Opus does with Overture, um, the less specific you put your, you know, your wine label or freedom you have to make perfect wine that you need to make for whatever that marketplace is. Um, and so, you know, people do non-vintage wines so that they can, and, and just because they have non-vintage doesn't mean it is only more than one vintage. It's just something that they'll do. To give and it doesn't mean it's bad. And it, and it doesn't mean it's bad. No, 100%. All right. Right. I got a tough one, Bart, that I, I don't have an answer for that's any good. Um, and I don't know, maybe you do. Uh, and it's something that I've thought about a lot, which is why don't we, you, I, most wineries put their ingredients on their label like Ridge does? Um, I, I mean, I've, I've often kind of thought about it, you know, um, 
but it's because I have nothing to hide. Uh, right. Uh, more than anything else, I guess I just haven't taken the time to actually look at the rules and then have a, a designer change the label because um, right. ultimately that's what has to happen. Um, and and I think I think a lot of it is because there are some things that people don't want to have to um, show. You know, if you add water because you've um, if you add water because you picked it a very high sugar, then you need to note that. Um, you know, it, whatever additions you use, if it's uh, uh, fish emulsion or, I mean, not fish emulsion, uh, fish bladder, if it's egg, um, egg whites. Um, <laughs> are we on Jeopardy for every answer you give? Are we doing a ding? <laughs> we have five points. Bart's had, a, Bart, Bart's had a 10 point answer so far. So, so anyway, and I think that people don't want to have to explain that to their consumers. Um, you know, Ridge doesn't use Here's, butter. <laughs> I'll take your mother's a whore for 400, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's my little tribute to Sean, Sean Connery. <laughs> the, the penis mightier? Okay. Um, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> um, and, and now, and John, you muted yourself so that you, we didn't hear your... Okay. Um, well, so I guess I... Joke. I, I do have a, a little bit of an answer for this uh, dirty wine glass guy, which is um, I know wineries, even wineries that maybe 60 uh, enterprise vineyards farms for that do put ingredients labels on their, you know, lists on their wines uh, and they're total bullshit. You know, <laughs> they say one ingredient or they say a couple of ingredients. And I know that there's more than that that goes in there. And, and, and in the same way that, wine label regulations are dumb for the previous question they're they're dumb here too and um so just because there's an ingredient list on a wine doesn't mean that it is actually accurate so, frankly so no one's it, checking it no one's checking it um as long as you say as long as you don't put anything in there that's on your list that's not in there i think you can put whatever you want like if you just say there's organic grapes ingredient list organic grapes um you can say that as long as your grapes are organic. You don't have to put all the other things that you're using in the winemaking process, whether or not they're controversial. Um, the other piece of it is, you know, label real estate is precious. And a big chunk of it is already taken by the stupid government warning that nobody's read, but everybody knows. Um, and, and then, you know, if you put in an ingredient list on there, um, what what do you lose? What are you taking off? Are you changing the size of your labels? Then it's, you know, becomes a, you know, so it gets complicated. The third point being, and then I'll let you, I'll stop interrupting, John, um, is the time between when you print your labels and when you actually bottle the wine, things can happen. Things can change where you need to use an additive to make the wine stable, to make the wine, you know, as good as you want it to be, um, that isn't on that list, that isn't on the label that you then are printing and sticking on the wine, hopefully when you're bottling it, or if you're like 16600, usually sometime after you bottle it. Um, so, you know, it's, it's more complicated than the way that Ridge does it. And, and, you know, I tend to trust Ridge's ingredient list on their label uh, doesn't mean that they're not going to fudge it when they have to because frankly that's the the nature of the business and the rules you know the the, the regulatory 
form framework that we work in. So. Sam and Bart, how did these laws get so totally screwed up in the first place? <laughs> You'll have to listen to next week's show. Yes, tease <laughs> the next week with Tom Mark, and and we barely scratched the surface really in that. I yeah, mean, you're right. You know, honestly, John, it all can be rooted back to prohibition and the way that when prohibition was repealed within the vacuum of any like if you know all alcohol is against the law then all the rules about alcohol don't matter and then now alcohol is legal and make up your own rules um and and every day every wine business from you know a hundred you know from two barrels of of Roussan to um, 10 you know a million cases we all work with the stupidity of these really archaic and tainted by prohibition you know rules framework well and take it down the take it down the path like if we did make that a thing where you had the ingredients and it was regulated now you have someone coming in an outside person coming in and tasting your wines let's say you have to tell them the day you're bottling and they're going to come in and take samples and then run analysis on your wines. And then there's going to be fines for people that maybe there was a little more sulfur than they are reporting or, I mean, I don't know. The, not, that, not that you're doing that, but it sort of opens up the door to those sort of situations, right? Right, for sure. I mean, it, you know, it's, it is more complicated than putting on your label grapes, uh, sulfur um maybe tartric you know maybe tartric acid uh and whatever else people add to their wines um you know obviously the more things you put in there the less you want to have a list <laughs> on the bottle um but but just because you don't use a lot of things doesn't mean it's simple for you to do that um it's a big it's a big undertaking and on the top and the, at the end of the day of all we have a shit ton of rules that we have to follow and if there's a rule that we don't have to follow if we don't have to do this um we're not going to do it because we're it's complicated enough as it is this business so well and it's it's no. kind of sorry bart i was going to say it's uh counterintuitive for the people that are making the most amount of money in the wine industry right because the right. people that would want to put the ingredients list would be the smaller producers the people that don't want to put it on would be the larger producers that have actually the capital to get lobbyists to fight actually putting ingredients lists on the bottles. So it, you know. So there has been, you know, it's been talked about in the past that, that, you know, we could be regulated under FDA, um, Food and right. Drug Administration, which would change all of this drastically, you know, but remember that before, um, so TTB um, was started in 2003. Before that, the wine industry was bureaued under alcohol, tobacco, and firearms. And, you know, it was one of those things. It's like for the wine industry, they hated it that they were regulated under alcohol, and alcohol tobacco, and firearms. Like, what do they have to do with each other? And, and why should wine be under that? You know, that was the wine industry's feeling. Um, you know, somehow TTB, I think, has become better for the wine industry. I'm sure Tom Warwick would disagree with that, maybe, or have something to say about it, certainly. Um, but I think FDA would make it really, really 
um, complicated. There should be you a do new. Not want to be a drug. No. There should be a new one called the the wine cannabis psilocybin uh, agency. <laughs> where do I where do I apply to be the director of this one? Of this right? agency. <laughs> I think you're on the short list, Sam. Yep. <laughs> experience required. A list of only people who are under five six who wanted this job is that what the short hey, list? Hey, and I don't know if you guys watch uh, Real Sports with Brian Gumble on HBO. Great show this week. They have a new show out that talks about the use of ayahuasca and mushrooms. Um, and they didn't really talk about ecstasy, but I know that's something that people have been talking about for treating of CTE, PTSD, uh, head injuries, trauma, soldiers, MMA. Um, um, fighters um, that are incredible thing. And these are reports coming out of places like Stanford, Harvard. Um, it's getting harder and harder for the government um, old white guys to fight the, um, fight the, um, um, you know, the results that are coming out of these tests. So anyway, right. we might have an industry like that. So here, here's what I'd like to touch on is what types of residual waste are created through the winemaking process? This is a great and question. Maybe you can talk about, you know, the vineyard side. Um, uh, do you want to start with that? I, I mean, you know, the garbage that is produced, you know, the first thing you always think about is packaging materials. Um, you know, from our standpoint, when we're, you know, organic farming, um, you know, we have a lot of like, bundles of cover crop seed that's like that plastic you know webbing that, that comes in i mean i think that that's like the first thing i think of is is all the plastics that are generated by the transportation of our supplies um and i think that goes both and that's both on the wine you know the vineyard side and the winery side you know the amount of shrink wrap that even your like most eco groovy organic natural winery is forced to use because it's the only thing that does what we need it to do, um, or at least in a cost-effective way. Um, that sucks. All the plastic is, is the first thing I think of. I mean, I, we just did a bottling, and, you know, it, it does, because all the glass comes in wrapped in plastic. Um, you know, the plastic containers that the foils sit in, the corks come in plastic bags inside cardboard boxes. Um, then, you know, you wrap the pallets in plastic, so that way they don't slide off the truck on the way to the warehouse. Um, you know, barrels come wrapped in cardboard and wrapped in plastic. So I think that's the dirty little secret is for the wine industry is the amount of shrink wrap and plastic. Yeah, shrink wrap, plastic and cardboard. I mean, you know, cardboard is recyclable ostensibly, yeah. but- um, What about in the field? You know, in the field, there's definitely, you know, um, There's there's metal scraps. There's a lot of metal scrapping, you know, in replants and in, and in planting. From, um, again, from what? From what, Sam? From trellis systems and fences. Um, you know, trellis and trellis and fences. Um, you know, again, in like irrigation construction and, and maintenance, you end up with a lot of like garbage. Um, you know, pieces of plastic piping and PVC piping and stuff like that. Um, what else? Uh, you know, I mean, there's tools that you use, you know, parts that you use like in vineyard layout. Um, you know, one of the most sort of like simplest ways of, of um, putting a, you know, you put a stake down in the ground, but as you're laying out the vineyard, we'll use, you know, in these crazy rocky vineyards, we'll use like plastic uh, knives, like cutlery, 
um, to stick into the spots because um, you can't put a stake in until you have like a, a pile driver there. Um, so that's, you know, that stuff is, ends up being garbage. Um, sometimes the, the netting that people use um, for like bird netting around harvest time is, is uh, disposable, although, you know, kind of becomes a cost upfront or later because you can get permanent netting, it's just expensive. Um, as far as waste products, that's kind of all I can, all I can think about. I mean, there's other output when you talk about like burning diesel fuel and stuff for tractors and trucks. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, your typical like um, maintenance yard kind of uh, refuse oil and diesel and, and you know, like, like car part, you know, tractor shop kind of stuff. Um, and then the other thing I would say yeah. is in the winery, you know, there's, there's residual waste from, you know, washing barrels. Um, there's uh, the solids, the grape solids, you know, all, of course, all the stems and grapes after harvest all get worked back into the vineyards. They made into compost. But, you know, as you go along and you rack your barrels, there's the waste in the bottom. Most of that is collected and filtered um, somewhere. Um, and then that wine that's left over is used for a lesser quality wine somewhere along the way, whether it's distilled or, you know, something like that. Um, there's solids that go down the drain that go to wastewater ponds and, you know, the water gets reclaimed and used for irrigation. Um, and the, and, and any solid waste gets again, worked back into the soil. So that's pretty closed loop. Yeah. The, the wineries are, are pretty tightly, you know, as far as like, especially new winery construction in Napa or Sonoma, you, if you don't have uh, recycled water program and you're not, you know, reclaiming your wastewater and your waste products, you're, you're not going to get a permit to operate. And, and, you know, there might be some older, you know, grandfathered in winery facilities that, that don't have a system like that. But I think that they're by far the exception, not the rule nowadays. Um, so, you know, but it, again, it comes back to packaging. Um, you know, the, the, we take, and if you have like, custom boxes that means so if you have like a wine box you get a, a case from some winery and instead of like slapping and, and probably crookedly like stickers on either end of the white cardboard it's a custom box that says you know the name of the winery and it's printed like that that means that those bottles started in blank cardboard boxes and then some humans had to build those other boxes transfer the bottles from the blank ones into the branded ones and then you're going to send them to the winery to get filled. And then they're going to get sent to like a fulfillment house where they're going to take them out of those fancy branded cardboard boxes and put them into the shipping boxes and then send them to you and then send those other fancy cardboard boxes off to recycling. So there is like the cardboard and, and the shipping and the packaging and the logistics on, on all sides is probably the thing that um, is here, the hardest to get around and the most problematic. What a long, strange trip it's been. Here's, um, here's one thing that Steve Law at McLaren did this year that I'm going to try to do next year is instead of getting, getting white boxes, he just got the craft cardboard box because the white boxes are bleached and that's how they get it that way. So that, you know, takes something out of it. So there's a lot of things like that. I think that we all just kind of need to think about. Trim little pieces away. Well, how would you like to order a case of 16600, let's say the 16... Rossi homage, but 
but instead of coming in 12 bottles, it came in the same size box with a bladder inside that you popped a little hole in the bottom and a little spout came out that just kept the wine fresh and you could continue to drink it. It's like the biggest wine in a box. Um, yeah. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe. I mean, it, it, it lasts longer, right? It stays fresher from opening. Well, I so here's an example. Necessarily, right? All right, here's an example right. of that. So Peterson Winery um, up in Dry Creek, uh, Fred Peterson, uh, someone who's on the list to have on sometime. Um, they do a, I think it's a three liter. So it'd be uh, four bottles of wine, right? Nine liter box. Yeah, so three liter box with the plastic um, uh, bag inside. Um, so a uh, collapsible bag and it's a it's it's his premium wines they're dry creek valley you know um very nice wines so you know that's someone who's doing that um you know there's a lot of people doing that it just depends at what price line and you know what size well and how long the wine is staying in that bladder that's inside the box and what is that made out of and does that leach any sort of flavor into well, the wine? And, and is that reused or not you know if it's not reused you know, at least a bottle is a recycled, it can be recycled. The plastic bag inside the cardboard, it may be less packaging, but that plastic is still plastic. Does, does uh, Kibblestat still do their growler program? I'm pretty sure they do. Yeah, pretty yeah sure. that's, a, that's a great way of, you know, reuse, recycle. Um, yeah, where everyone just has their own growlers, they bring it and fill it up. I mean, that's, that's super old school. All right. But, exactly. And look, you know, Bart not using you know even more than me not using foils because i do the wax not putting foils on your bottle um is a small way again you know it's it's about sort of shaving shaving those little pieces off the edge it's a small little you know waste reduction carbon footprint reduction that you know is and also saves time and money um, those you know where the, those just end up in the garbage Exactly. There's not like a foil recycling. Like we recycle bottles, we recycle corks at the hotel. We don't recycle foil. Right. And the Sorry. amount of people that have gone to no foil since two, when I started in 2009, the amount of 2009, yeah, the amount of people who have gone to it, it it's grown exponentially. But right. but it, the problem is, is we're all small producers. You don't see, you know, a 10,000 case run of um, you know, snap a cab without a foil on it. So um, that's where it makes um, And then, you know, bottle sizes. That's, and actually I feel like the big bottle thing is, although I've used, we did the, the Audi Ted in some heavy glass. Um, those he really heavy glasses, um, really heavy bottles are becoming slightly less trendy. Um, and it's a way, you know, less, less indicative of a quality wine and that's another little place where we can sort of i know how am i supposed to tell if the wine is good sam if the bottle's not the heavy? bottle's not heavy i gotta try it you gotta you know <laughs> trust the ingredients list on the label i think is <laughs> okay all right what's next got some more questions let me uh, let me pull them back up here um so this uh, ashley johnson ash bash one zero zero three on dropped a bunch of questions. Um, so this one, let's give you like five. She had a, a grab bag of cheap wine. Your your grab your cheap wine grab list, Brian. Let's go. Let's go with you. Um, number one, Har uh, Harmeyer Chenin Blanc. All right. Um, that's going to be my number one for sure. 
Um, you know what? I actually like the, the coast. Price point? What's the price point on that? Uh, don't go to his website. Go to Bottle Barn <laughs> if you want. <laughs> I don't know what he. I don't know what he's charging on his website, but I can get it for twelve ninety nine at Bottle Barn. And uh, I actually still enjoy the Coats de Roses uh, uh, Rosé from Gerard Bertrand, which I think you can get for twelve bucks at Seven Eleven. Um, Seven Eleven. Class. What else? Really. Uh, right. Sonoma 7-Elevens are fancy, John. You well, know. it's it's the 7-Eleven in Boys Hot Springs. You know, I don't know that you can get it at every 7-Eleven. Um, those, those, I mean, those would be my two if I need to yeah. just grab something that I want to have a bottle of wine to drink after after work that I know I can get for under 15 bucks, then I'll, I'll add Google Coach Sonoma. Right. Oh, I just picked up a bottle at Bottle Barn Monday of the white blend from Iggy Gall. So yeah, 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 that's a good one, Bart. Go Sam Sonoma is in. My Sonoma's in. That yes. is the perfect bottle. Grab it. Right yep. now. Shameless plugs, welcome. Uh, on my website, cases for $240 shipped to your doorstep. Yeah. Super uh, juicy. Juicy. Super juicy. And the 17 is better than the is better than the 16. Um I think. So um that's one and then Cote Rhone in general, I think Bart and, and Brian kind of hidden at it. But if you're like if you're ever in anywhere America, in any wine shop or liquor store, and you don't know what you want to buy, you gotta go you gotta have to walk into a dinner party with a bottle in your hand. I mean, you know, when dinner parties still existed. Um, you can spend fifteen to twenty bucks on a bottle of Cote Rhone, red or white, and have you know, at least, you know, have a bottle of wine that everybody can drink and like. Um, oh, we, we left out. So one of my favorite wine regions in the world be, for this exact reason is Costia de Nimes. So right. Michel Gossier making the white and red blends there that just completely oh. over deliver for the price point. Insanity. Oh. Yeah. That's, and that, in fact, what I'm thinking about is like being in Cape Cod last, a couple summers ago, or no, it was, it was my, actually it was my grandmother's funeral weekend. And we went to the liquor store in Cape Cod, and there was, uh, coast, you know, some Gossier bottles on the shelf. It might have been their $35 bottle range, but, uh, you know, it might have been on sale. Um, and we, I think we bought every bottle that they had there. You know, we had a house full of people who were going to be drinking. And, you know, you look around and you could have spent a lot more money on something that wasn't going to be as good. Where do you find the Gossier stuff? Literally, you know, many decent liquor stores Sonoma all over the country stressed. um sonoma's best so there is a place a winery called chateau or domaine gossier that's in another part of france that's not the same family so you got to make sure you get the michelle gossier michelle and and tina gossier that's so those are isabel's parents um and it's pretty much everywhere you, you know you can probably find uh an, if you're in one of the 16 states i'm so like I learned so much from that other from the show that comes out after this one that I if you're in one of the 16 states where you can get wine shipped to you from a retailer um, find some Gossier family uh, on their website and have it sent to you well can I throw out one last one that's sort of yeah. local but um, the, I think a wine that completely over delivers for the price and it kind of seems ridiculous but it's Stone Edge Farm Surround their blend of Cab Cab Franc Merlot that is yeah. just, I mean, I think Todd has it. You can get it for under a hundred bucks, but it drinks like a $150, $200 bottle of wine. Yeah, I know that's not like an everyday drinker, but 
Yeah, well, and that's, I mean, you know, we put parameters around these, some of these other questions. When you say you're cheap wine, you just, do you have a yeah. price point or you're just looking for crazy value? And I think that, um, you know, yeah. the surround is a great, is a great crazy value wine. Um, should we answer another couple of Ashley's questions? Um, sure. What should we be drinking right now, this season, other than Bart Shannon Blanc with Thanksgiving? Because I think we know that already. <laughs> well, we totally miss Beaujolais Nouveau, right? Well, did we? Uh, that's so funny. We go. Oh, and that's what Sam's got right now. Okay. It's not a Nouveau. Oh, but that's a 2016. I, Jasmine asked me if I wanted to have a glass of wine while we were recording, and I said, "Yeah, sure, pick something." And she said, "Oh, well, it, we just missed Beaujolais Day. Um, it was Beaujolais Nouveau Day, and so we had a little bit of a, a it was a learning moment." Um, that there is, you know, crew Beaujolais that is, um, you know, one made to be, you know, aged. It doesn't have to be, it's not Nouveau, it's not carbonic maceration, it's, it's made like uh, fine red wine um, and can be aged. So that's, we opened a, a 16 from Morgon. Um, I don't know what the producer's, Guy Breton, I think is the producer. It's something that, um, you know, like many of the wines the, the French wines in my cellar, um, I bought from Lyle Fast, uh, Fast Selections. So, yeah, a little nouveau. But I little, think little, for little me, Zinfandel. Not, I think of Zinfandel when I think of this time of year. I agree. I mean, it's such a great turkey, sage, stuffing, yam, sweet potato. Um, yeah. What do they drink it with and where they make it? I mean, Nobody's doing Thanksgiving there, right? Where? France? In France? Oh, I thought it was French. I'm sorry. Oh, and, and Beaujolais, Beaujolais. Yeah. So Beaujolais Nouveau de John is um, a really successful marketing campaign by uh, Georges de... I'm not going to say it right, but Georges de Boeuf. Boeuf um, <laughs> George the Cow? Yeah, something like that. Um <laughs> That's better, better definite translations and other things. Um, and it's basically a way of, you know, Nouveau wine is a, is a brilliant marketing ploy and cash flow device to sell. You know, right now what they released last Thursday at midnight was the 2020 carbonic maceration Gamay from, from Beaujolais um, that they you know hits the market and you go to these parties you go to you know and they, they have these parties and obviously they didn't have the parties this year but you go to these parties like i went to one in new york once and you know you go thursday thursday night you show up at 10 30 at night you know, after dinner or something and for an hour and a half for two hours they're pouring crew beaujolais they're pouring vintage wine they're pouring last year's and then and then at midnight, right when they make sure you're good and buzzed and heated up, they drop the nouveau on you, and you're like, you. It's like, oh, you're a, you're drunk, and it's fresh and bright and juicy, and and you eat it up, and you have this great time, and you buy a bunch for Thanksgiving. Um, it, I mean, it really was a, an a event created to sell wine to Americans, to New Yorkers, um, for Thanksgiving. It's um, like a hallmark and, holiday. Totally, and and to get. Um, and to get, you know, make some money to pay off your, your harvest bills. Um, and, you know, so not to be totally cynical about it, there is, a, you know, Scribe, I think, did a Nouveau. Morgan's done a Nouveau before you know, at Bedrock. 
you know, people do Nouveau in California, uh, and it's a fun thing to do, and people like to drink them, and it's not purely uh, just to be cynical and, and pay bills, but um, that's what, that's really like the origin of the book. Well, it certainly is a party uh, started in France. We were there yeah. at the release, and every, you know, they, they put out all the banners. It's like going to a chain restaurant with all the, all the stuff around entertaining very 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 big deal there yeah it's, and you know they have a french rabbit throw a party that's nothing wrong with that um, like but, but you know come like december 1st and you open that beaujolais nouveau and the and the, <laughs> and the the you know the glow has faded a little bit and 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 Thanksgiving is past, and all of a sudden you're like American Express bill is coming from your Black Friday shopping. You're like Nouveau isn't really like anymore. <laughs> Give me open that open that teenagers. Well, yeah, it's not really great wine. <laughs> no, our, it's but our, fun. But, yeah, but Beaujolais, Cru Beaujolais are really good wines. Um, as our friend, as our friend uh, Safa says, you know, it's it really is the perfect uh, picnic. Uh, wine, picnic red wine, um, typically. So, yeah, you're gonna have to start shipping to him. He's moving back to uh, San Diego. Yeah, he is. He is indeed. Um, okay. I, okay. Part. How are we doing on time? wine is unfiltered, overrated. Uh, I do not. Well, un, unfiltered. Wait a minute. It's unfiltered, overrated. Um, it's no. It's I don't think it's going twenty-seven. Yeah, I mean, I'll okay. let's put it this way: um, if you if you have an issue with your wine and you need to um, filter something out of it, you should do that. You shouldn't say I'm not going to filter it for because I'm not going to filter it. If there's an issue, you should filter it. Um, small wineries like us, um, mm -hmm. uh, we have the ability to really keep tight controls on things. Um, a lot of cases, we're the only ones that ever touch our wines. Um, so we can feel very comfortable if a wine microbiologically is clean, not filtering, and sending it out. Um, uh, if you're a large winery and you make uh, 10,000 cases of Napa Valley Cab, uh, you know, 200,000 cases of um, Sonoma County Cab, um, and you want to make sure that every bottle um, is consistent, I think you need to filter it somehow. Um, uh, so what happens when you filter it? Well, you always strip something from it and you can't ever put those things back. Um, so I try not to, I try to keep the wines very, very healthy and clean and be able to bottle them without filtration because I think that's the purest form of the wine that we produce on any given year. Uh-oh. In, in the same way that yeah, the, the like the list of ingredients, the tools to make sure that your wine is as good as it possibly can be. Filtering is a tool that if you have to use it, you use it, and and but you'd rather not. Um, and so you know, if you're making wine according to a formula every year, and filtering is like step seventeen according to your list, and you just go by that, and you know, you're probably going to make wines that you know aren't as exciting as they could be. Uh, yeah. So is, is unfiltered overrated? Unfiltered wines, I, I will say yes, because there are wines out there that are sent out into the market as unfiltered wines for the sake of being unfiltered wines. 
that probably could have used, uh, would have benefited from a spin through the sterile filter or something. And, and so from that standpoint, buying a wine because it's unfiltered is probably an overrated. Well, can I just chime in as a person who sells wine? Anytime you don't have to have a conversation about why is my wine cloudy, or if you fuck up cold stabilization, why does my wine have crystals floating around in it? Then sometimes when you're at a busy joint that sells a lot of wine, it's just easier to have clean filtered wines that you don't have to answer questions about. So yeah, unfortunately. And, yeah. And, yeah, and you're right, that's, Brian. That's a good and, question. Yeah, and I'll let one last thing. If you make a, if you're making a red wine and and it appears to be cloudy then then you should just filter it um you you should be able to make a red wine and have it appear to be clear in the glass um white wine it's not quite as easy um because the pigments um keep the red wine uh, make it look brilliant and and hide whatever's in there but um in a white wine um you know i, I this year i did a unfiltered white wine um, we haven't released it yet. We'll see what people think. Um, I can tell you my wife doesn't like it, um, but, you know, that's her personal preference. She does not like unfiltered white or rosé wine. That, but that's the sort of, that's the sort of person that I'm, that's the sort of person I'm talking about that I, that I, is sitting at a table that I'm selling wine to. And that even if you think, if you put it next to a glass of wine that was filtered and you think it's exactly the same, it's just the perception of the sight of it that just draws, you know, just draws questions for some you're, people. And you're, and you're absolutely right, Brian. Um, to be as delicate around the gender issues as I can with this. Um, if you're at a tasting room or at a wine, you know, in a restaurant that's a wine-focused restaurant, and there's one person at a table who doesn't like wine because it's not filtered, um, and that person is... Uh, a wife of somebody who's at that table, chances are they're not buying that wine. Be, you know, the wives oftentimes will drive the wine, for whatever reason, it's not always like that, but uh, if you put an unfiltered wine down and Bart and Brian are, you know, that credit card is not going to get thrown out for that bottle of wine. Just, you know, and that's it, not to say that that's the way it should be, or those things are all like gender equality, um, you know, conscious, but um, that's a reality of selling wine on a day-to-day -day business, you know, day-to-day -day basis. So, there you go. Can I say that with enough tact? I'm not gonna get, I'm not gonna get the Tom Wark haters after me for throwing that one down, Bart. I don't know, you'll have to listen next week to find out. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so, so, Another one. Why hasn't Syrah taken off? Have I ever answered that one before? <laughs> Probably. Uh, because most Syrah sucks. Is that the answer? My answer. No, I, you know, honestly, here's this stupid thing. I think if there was a hit movie with Tom Cruise where Syrah was like his favorite thing and, and the movie was a blockbuster sales of Syrah would spike. Right. It's that stupid. Yeah. So that goes in hand in hand with somebody else who asked, how come nobody wants to, where was that question? Uh, nobody's making. Uh, I Sorry, I maybe I should replace it with uh, Chris Pratt. 
Uh, <laughs> How come nobody's made? Who's ready to make Sangiovese, Tempranillo, and something else? Right? That's the, that's the same answer. If you if if something happened in pop culture that would drive sales of those varieties through the roof, hundred uh, percent people would be making more and doing better job of making them. Yep. Um, but so all you Hollywood screenwriters out there who listen to our show. But here's the, the here's the thing right, though. The Nosh movie first, or maybe I don't know the right. Shannon Block movie. Who fucking knows? But but flip the script a little bit, and if you're someone who loves Syrah, who loves Zinfandel, who loves Grenache, thank your thank the stars that it is not more popular because you're getting a high quality wine at a better price than you would if you were buying Cabernet, Pinot, or Chardonnay. Right. So. Be careful what you wish for. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we got more? any others? One more. One more. Uh, okay. Um, uh, there's, there was one that came in kind of late last minute, uh, and it's a longer question. We're going to save that one for another one, because that could be a whole other conversation, Zoelle. So, if Zoella, if you're listening, I'm not ignoring your message, but um, rudely ignoring her message. Rudely <laughs> ignoring her messages. Okay. She probably she probably hates cloudy wine anyway. Uh, actually, probably isn't somebody who hates cloudy <laughs> wine, and, and and does drive the wine vine uh, in her household. Um, Ashbash one o zero zero three had a bunch of questions that we didn't get to yet. Um, uh, okay, here's one. Let's, let's end with this one, Dirty Wine Glass Guy. Um, I know we've answered a few of his questions, but what's the one cost of doing business that even educated wine drinkers don't realize? Wait, what? The one cost of being in the wine business that even somebody who's, you know, a, a collector and has a Roger Randall cellar doesn't realize is... You mean cost expensive. of the winery? I think the first cost of the winery. And I think the first one that I think of is um, is truly like the packaging costs, the cost of a bottle, the cost, of, especially if you're doing it on a small scale, cost of a bottle, the cost of a cork, the cost of a label um, is is a, is a lot more. And, and the cost of actually getting that wine into the bottle is a lot more than than you might think. Um, you know, well, I like to I like to think of it in terms of hand touches. Right. So how many hand touches from planting, irrigating, picking, pruning, um, yeah, picking, crushing, um, barreling, racking, sampling, testing, tasting, bottling, labeling, corking, foiling, waxing, boxing, Jeez. shipping. <laughs> how many hands? How many hands touch that one bottle of wine that you're drinking right now? Yeah. So imagine that every one of those people that touch that is getting paid in some way. Right. And, wow, Brian. And, and think about it in terms of champagne. Right. How many times? <laughs> Holy shit. Right. Yeah. I mean, riddling. Can you? Yeah. Well, that's, that's why, you know, um, Mark Harold once said that if he was to make a champagne in California at the style and the way that he would want it like minimum is like a $500 bottle because of that 
because of the amount of touches and time and work that it would go into to making it. And, and um, you know, the cost of storing it, the cost of warehousing, um, that's another one that's, that's, I think people don't, wouldn't think about is, you know, the cost that we, and even giant wineries are paying, you know, warehouses and paying for warehouse space. And that's, it's expensive, you know, real estate in Northern California, whether it's a winery or a, or a warehouse or a vineyard or just, you know, a single family home, um, all costs a lot more than it does in most of the rest of the country. Yeah. All right. So well, that was good. On that note, buy some wine because we're all going broke doing it if you don't. <laughs> For sure. And we'll probably go broke doing it even if you do, but at least we'll have more fun if you buy it. <laughs> well, this was a good show. Okay, that was that was good. We're gonna do we'll keep doing that. We'll keep doing that every well, we can make that a segment of the show, you know, where oh, let's, that's right. let's answer some questions. That sounds way too professional and uh, letters, we get for us, letters. but I think we should try. <laughs> yeah, why not? Yeah. Okay, we'll have more, and we'll we'll keep putting that out there, and we'll send us your questions also, you know, via um, Instagram, Twitter, email any one of us, um, and we'll try and keep it organized and answer your questions live on not the air, whatever this is. And if you thought that our answers were bullshit, respond on the Instagram account too. Say, hey, what you guys were talking about, or you're full of shit, especially you, Danny Faye. And I would like to know what they all ended up drinking for the holiday. Uh, yeah. Well, let's okay. Well, let's close with that. What are you guys going to drink tomorrow for Thanksgiving? So tag us. Take a picture of what you're drinking for Thanksgiving, and Wait then tag us. Tag us on the um, on no, the Instagram. No, no, no. Post. I'm asking you. I'm asking you, Brian. Because Wait, everybody's going to hear this. So there, after this comes out on Friday. Everybody's going to be done with Thanksgiving and moved on to how to get. Rid oh, of oh, yeah. <laughs> So what are you asking not, me? I guess this year. <laughs> what are you asking me then? What are you drinking? What are you drinking for Thanksgiving? Oh, well, I'm going to be at work. Um, not only, I think I'm getting there at 11 and then we're serving one to seven and then we roll right into dinner service, normal dinner service. So I'm going to have like a 12 hour day. So what I did is when I was, at bottle, I was at, at bottle Barn the other day, I bought myself a nice bottle of uh, Burgundy. So that when I came home after a 12 hour shift of serving at a COVID spreader event, I would uh, at least go out in style. <laughs> White burgundy, red burgundy. White. White here also. Yeah. White for you too, John? Yep, absolutely. And uh, then of course, I've got a, uh, a couple of nice uh, Grenaches hanging out. One from Bart, one from you. I think it's going to go really well with, uh, we're, we're doing two different things. A turkey breast, uh, which I have injected with some homemade stock. It should be kind of cool. And, uh, and also, um, well, some duck. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a couple of cold fees in the pan, heat those up. Eat more duck. Time. Yeah. Eat more duck. I try it. I try to. Shout out to Jennifer Reichardt at Wrapped Wines and also yep. to Hawk Waka Waka for what she's been doing lately, man. She's just killing it. Wow, those have been good yeah. shows. Have you been watching? 32 yeah. of probably some of the best uh, wine content programming, other than, you know, us. obviously this show. Us and, uh, uh, us and MJ Towler. <laughs> right. Yeah, us and MJ Towler. I mean, if we could really actually be in that cat, in, in that rarefied air, um, you know. 
I, I'm moderately educational and occasionally entertaining. And occasionally right. educational and somewhat entertaining. Right. <laughs> every once in a while, uh, you know, even a what's every once in a while we get it right, and sometimes we make people laugh. Perfect. Right. <laughs> That's the idea. Nailed it. <laughs> and on that note, All right. so the Appalachian, so County Appalachian, seventy-five percent. Seventy-five percent must be from the county. The, and then, the and ABA, right. which is American Viticultural Association, so that would be something like Dry Creek Valley, Sonoma Valley, Sonoma Mountain, that is 85%. Okay. Um, and vineyard designate is 95%, estate 100%. So, and there you go. 100% really, it is 100% for estate. And then, yeah. and then 95% for vintage. Yeah, yeah. So. All right. All right. End, ended, ended strong. How we started <laughs> with actual facts. We started so weekly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Hey, hey, happy Thanksgiving to you guys. Happy, happy whatever. You got it. Uh, we're we're actually it's gonna be we have cleared the pool deck and we are serving. It's gonna be like Beverly Hills, baby. So that's why I, I was a little I couldn't make the show yesterday and I got to go in a little bit early today because we're uh, yeah we're making it happen. It's gonna be people dining around the pool and we got all kinds of heaters and. It's it's gonna be it's gonna be fun. Well, good commodity. luck, Ryan. Stay safe, man. Honest commodity right. in 2020 after your masks is and toilet paper is fucking stand up heaters. Yeah, right. not the last one at Freeman <laughs> Propane. Brothers. Our propane bill is off the charts. Ooh. Yeah. All right. Stay warm. Stay safe. All right, guys. Peace. See you later. Take care.